On Tuesday, we looked at the book of Jude. Jude um, was kind enough, before anything else, to remind us of the call. That, that, that most frequently used one word description of the Christian that we are called. He's saying, remember, you are loved in God the Father. You are kept secure. Just as we sing within Christ alone, there's nothing that can pluck us from his hand. And then he encourages us to contend in the Christian life. You know, where he says, hey, we need to make sure that we're fighting for the faith. And he gives that history lesson to kind of look back and say, hey, here's individuals and nations and groups of people that have trusted with their own eyes, that have looked to the world around them to satisfy them, and it has been to their destruction. And he says we need to fight for our hearts because it's out of the heart that everything flows. And we know that if we have a heart that is not healthy, a heart that is not working, that uh, things die quickly. And so it's the same thing in the Christian life is that heart needs to be built up. We saw that picture of the house on Mexico Beach, um, that it was still standing because it was properly built. And we looked specifically kind of at one of those ways on Wednesday, the ways in which through prayer that God builds us up. You know, as we said, that gospel prayer begins with a grateful heart. And then it's a praying for a growing confidence, not arrogance, confidence. And then third, we said that gospel prayer prays for fruit to, to be. We see that we see fruit bear in our lives and those around us. And that we pray that our affections for Christ would always outpace our affections for this world. And then that we would walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And then it's also praying for a joy that leads to endurance. Praying for that removal of pride that so easily makes its way in. And then that gospel prayer rejoices that, hey, we know one day God is going to make all things new. And until then, he is at work upon our hearts, sanctifying us. And so this passage this morning from Philippians 2, what you have here, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. His purpose in writing this letter is to encourage the church to be progressing in their faith. He wants them to be clear that it's not come to Jesus and then it just stops. And as that word we used before, sanctification, that God has continued to be at work on our hearts, that we're growing. The idea, some of you play sports. And let's say, for instance, you play soccer. Is the idea that the first day you play soccer to your last day of high school soccer that you're the same soccer player? No. Uh, we sure hope not. <laughs> and so the thing is, is in the Christian life, the desire, it's not that we become great because we're great, but it's, Lord, you've changed my heart. And so day after day, month after month, year after year, that we see, Lord, you are growing me, that I look more and more like you. And so that's why we're talking about this maturing, progressing faith. Because a faith that contends is a faith that is maturing. Um, and one thing that's kind of interesting about this passage is that you get this shift in verses 19 through 30. Kind of the previous uh, 48 verses in the book of Philippians are kind of talking about, you know, here's, here's, what, here's things what the Christian life looks like. Then you get Philippians 2 where you have the emptying of Christ where he becomes, takes on flesh. It talks about that, just that beautiful, in a sense, gospel hymn. And here you get the lives of three individuals. You get Paul, you get Timothy, you get Epaphroditus, and kind of, hey, here's what the Christian life has looked like for them. And it shows, too, just how the Word of God stirs the hearts of its people to do various things. And that's what I love about the Word of God, is that the Word of God can stir the heart of the 14-year-old whose voice is cracking with every other sentence they utter. It can change the heart of the 48-year-old mom with two kids and a husband who acts like a kid. And it can also change the heart of that young dad with kids who's exhausted. And it changes the heart of the 83-year-old woman who knows she's never been in more pain 
and that death is coming sooner than it ever has. And that the Word of God has the ability to speak at all stages of life and to all types of people. And you see that with these three individuals here. And one of these, you kind of see some repetition on play in this passage. And one of these about repetition is in school, if the teacher repeats something, what is that telling you? This is important. Probably going to be on the test. Probably should know this. And same thing is in Scripture. When you see things repeated, it's like all of Scripture is important, but it's like, hey, wait, this is being repeated again. I need to take note. Um, this is something. And so Paul does something similar here, but kind of showing here's what, not just one life, but here's what three lives changed by the gospel look like. And Paul's saying this is important. Um, and so... The other thing is, is this passage is a reminder that entitlement is something that needs to be eroding in our lives. Most of us come to life thinking we deserve things. But what the gospel says is we don't deserve anything, but we've been given everything by the grace of God. And so a maturing faith knows that entitlement doesn't have any place in it. So before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the beauty of your word. And Lord God, we do rejoice in that truth. Father, that... Lord, even as your word is heard by, Lord, not just RYM here on this campus, but other groups, and then that your word is heard by different types of people, different ages of people, all throughout this world, that it is stirring hearts in a similar manner. Lord, we give thanks for that. And Lord, we pray this morning that your word would do its work upon our hearts. Lord, that we would be maturing in our faith. Lord, God, that we would be longing for you. Get all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Hear the word of God. This is Philippians 2, starting in verse 19. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I also may be encouraged when I hear news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interest. All seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character, because he has served with me in the gospel, ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I'm convinced in the Lord that I myself will also come quickly. But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need. Since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick, indeed he was so sick that he nearly died, However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have one grief on top of another. For this reason, I am very eager to send him so that you may rejoice when you see him again, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in honor, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. The first thing that a maturing faith knows is it knows it is God who determines their steps. Um, in verse 19, kind of that very beginning, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. So to be cheered by news of you. I can remember my grandfather saying, my grandfather, my grandparents didn't live too far from here. They lived in Crestview, Colorado, and we would go visit. And before we would go visit, uh, my grandfather would have this little saying where he would say, Lord willing, and the creeks don't rise. Um, and it was silly, but there's actually some theological truth in it. Because the thing is, is, he knew that it wasn't a guarantee that we would see each other the next day. 
Lord willing, in a sense, with the creeks don't rise, that, that things don't happen that prevent us from seeing each other. And Paul simply puts here, I hope in the Lord. Paul wants to send Timothy, and he knows that sending Timothy will be a great blessing to the church at Philippi. But what he knows ultimately is that it's the Lord who's going to determine if Timothy makes it there. In Proverbs, we get the verse that says, Many are the plans of a man's heart, but it's the Lord's that prevails. Paul is not trusting in his craftiness, his persuasive speech, or good planning to get Timothy there. He knows the only way Timothy is making it there is by the hand of God. Is planning a good thing? Yes. Some of us in this room are terrible planners and we're thinking, no, planning is terrible. Planning is a good thing. But what can happen for those that are like detailed planners or detail-oriented sometimes, we can become so fixed on the plan that we're not letting God work. And because the thing is, is God will interrupt our plans. And sometimes God will interrupt our plans and it's like, this is not what I had planned, Lord. Um, I can even remember I've had females who have said, this is not what I had planned when I graduated from college. I was supposed to be married by now. And sometimes the Lord interrupts in ways. My wife was the opposite. She did not want to get married young. She wanted to graduate from college, but then the Lord interrupted her plans. And we obviously ended up getting married a lot younger than she had planned. The Lord works in ways, and so we need to be prepared for that. And then the other thing that kind of happens too we tend to trust our own instincts, or we just kind of assume, hey, everything's going to be okay. You know, we go on a trip like this, and we kind of assume, hey, we're going to get there safely. We're going to return safely. We play sports, and we assume, hey, we're never going to get hurt. Or we go to school, we assume we'll get the needed grade. Or we'll assume we'll have lots of Christmas presents under the tree this next year. We assume we'll always go to the same school as our friends. We assume we never will move. We expect to go to the college of our choice. We have so many things that we may assume or expect. But the thing that we need to make sure is it's okay to plan, but we need to know that it is the Lord who determines those steps. And when we do that, that gives us that healthy perspective so we truly can mature rather than us trusting in ourselves. We're trusting in the Lord. And so the simple phrase, I hope in the Lord Jesus, at the beginning is a reminder that the Christian's hope, it's not tied to our desires or efforts it is god who works and it is god who wills according to his good pleasure as philippians 2 13 says just a few verses before and the thing is is the thing i love about that is it allows me to labor in a different manner because i'm laboring for the lord and whatever the results are whether they're some of the greatest results some of the worst results or even the other results of there are individuals that we as a church have prayed for for a long time we've prayed for healing or we've prayed for salvation we don't see it. Sometimes we do, but it's the Lord's will. Lord, it is in your hands, the God who created it all. So the second thing that we see a maturing Christian considers Christ more valuable than their own life. Um, we live in a very narcissistic culture. A lot of y'all probably know what that means, but I love what the just the dictionary definitions say because it kind of highlights just kind of what a nasty sin this is. It says, an inordinate fascination with oneself, excessive self-love and vanity. Another definition says gratification derived from admiration of one's physical or mental attributes. Uh, I sure hope none of us that, that, hey, that's what I want to be said of me. That's what I want people to think about me. When they say my name, that's what they think. Excessive self-love, can't get enough of themselves. Um, I don't think many people would label themselves as that. But most of us, we have a lot of these tendencies within us. 
Um, there's just infatuation with seeking what's best for me. And I don't care what it costs others as long as I get what I want. And we see it polluting Christian communities, not just outside the Christian world. Because the thing is, as we consider our agenda, our likes, our preferences, our hopes, our dreams, we think that those are more important than Christ. Um, and this is not what we would say with our mouths, more than likely, but this is what we would say by our actions. Um, and we don't live, some will say, hey, this is the most sinful generation that has ever lived. No, it's not. It's, we sin differently than previous generations. And one of the things that is very evident is we have things within our culture that produce narcissism in ways that probably was not as prevalent in uh, other cultures. Can y'all think of some ways in which our culture just kind of, you know, it just puts it in us from a young age to love ourselves? Is there anything that comes to mind? Social media. Social media, that's, that's kind of a pretty easy one right there because we even think of, I mean, what are most of the pictures that make it on a social media call? Selfies. selfies. I mean, you know, most of the ones that you would see on social media are selfies. And a lot of y'all probably know what public relations is, businesses, colleges, um, even sports teams have public relations. And what they're trying to do is make our company, make our school look as good as you possibly can. And in a lot of ways, that's what social media is, is for us individually. How can I make myself look as good as I possibly can? I've become my own PR firm. What are other ways in which our culture is saying, hey, it's, you know, like the identity crisis, like what am I supposed to be like? Who are other people telling me I am? Yeah. yeah. Is, 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 is I'm, I'm, I'm going to let other people define who I am rather than God says who I am. How many of y'all have walked through the checkout register at the grocery store? You see some of the magazines there? You see some of the things on there? You know, how to find your perfect mate, uh, how to lose 15 pounds in two weeks, how to have the six pack of your dreams. Um, how to build your dream house. Essentially, what are all those little taglines saying? Or we can give you something. Yeah. Here, this is about you, 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 you. Here's how you, you, you can become better. And what's funny is when I went to visit TCU, eventually went to TCU, their slogan at the time and while I was at school there was TCU. It's about you. That is the absolute worst thing a college student ever needs to hear because the most narcissistic time for most of us is college. And one of the things, those of you, if some of you are about to head off to college or just kind of store this away, you are going to have the tendency when you go off to college to think that mom and dad knew nothing and you're going to come back and think, I've got it all figured out and I'm going to show mom and dad what's up. Don't do that because you'll pay the price later. Mom and dad really, they don't know everything, but they, they, they know a lot. Don't come back arrogant it's so college just for some reason breeds it in us in tcu with that slogan it was like just feeding into that college mindset of hey it is about you so it's and then the other thing that I wanted to mention is there's a little bit of debate on how many but it's a lot how many ads do you think we're hit with on a daily basis uh, it's a lot it's a lot some will say as few as 3,000, which sounds crazy. Some will say as many as 5,000. But it's kind of as you start thinking through it, it's like I'm driving down the road. I see billboards. I'm listening to the radio. I hear an advertisement. I'm listening even to a podcast. I hear an advertisement. I'm on social media. I see an advertisement. I'm on the internet. Advertisement. I'm on the TV. I see an advertisement. I'm reading an article. Advertisement. Advertisements are all around us. And so we're being bombarded with messages, sometimes subliminally, that we're not even really recognizing. But what a time, sometimes is if you think, you know, like even silly things like Outback Steakhouse had a slogan, no rules, just right. 
You know, since like, hey, you know, you do what you want to do. And you even think about like Burger King. I don't, I don't know if it's still their slogan or not, but you, you remember, have it what? Have it your way. Have it your way. You know, it's all about you or it's kind of like, hey, if you see the car commercials, if you drive this car, you know, then there's different levels of status or society you'll be in. Wear this, you know, and then, you know, is it typically the attractive or unattractive people that they put on advertisements? attractive it's like hey you wear this you buy this then you can look like this and so it's just feeding into this narcissistic side and so it's lord help me to see the ways in which the culture i'm around that in a sense this pool that i'm swimming in what are the ways in which narcissism could creep up and grab me because what happens with narcissism is what it does is the more we love ourselves and we more we love ourselves more than christ it actually makes our condition worse and it makes our heart, as we were talking about earlier, more sick. Because what sin does, sin separates us from God. But it, only, it doesn't only separate us from God, but it separates us from other people. And one of the things that I love that Richie pointed this out last night is, you know, is isolation, anxiety grows. Worry grows. And it can tend, when we sin, when we love ourselves a lot, it can separate us from other people. And we can end up being in isolation um, from others. And it's we need other people. And that's what I love about the Christian life is, hey, we need others. And when we love ourselves too much, it keeps us from having good, genuine relationships with those around us. And then the other thing that we see in this passage, where is Paul writing from? Prison. prison. And prison today is still not a place that I have any desire to go. But prison today, most of the time, is climate controlled. Three meals a day. They may get to lift weights in the morning, watch some soaps in the afternoon. Don't think that's the way it was for Paul. Um, just going out on a hunt probably was not the most comfortable place to be. Probably not as comfortable as modern day prisons. But why is he there? Is he there because Paul was about Paul? No. no. If Paul was about Paul, he wouldn't have been in prison. Paul was an esteemed member of society before he fell in love with Christ. And then Epaphroditus, what does the passage tell us about Epaphroditus? Why was Epaphroditus sick? Because he was laboring for the gospel. Most of us in 21st century America, we're not going to lose our lives for the gospel. We're not going to get even some of these health issues that come up are not going to come up now because of modern medicine. But does it still cost the 21st century Christian? Does it cost us to be a Christian? Are there things that's going to cost us? If it doesn't cost us more than likely sickness, death, imprisonment, do you think many ways in which it might cost us? Could it possibly cost us what our Friday or Saturday night looks like? Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes someone finds out, oh, hey, they love Jesus. We're not inviting them to this. Or we do get invited and we know, hey, I know what's going to happen there, and that's not a good place for me to be. Or it may be when I go to college, I'm going to be the guy that I'm only going to be on the computer with my door open or someone else in the room because I know that I could go some places I shouldn't go. Or I'm actually, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that I've got covenant eyes or something like it on my phone. And I'm actually going to have my parents get that report so that it's another layer of protection. That's not what most people are going to do. There are many ways in which it can cost us. And I can remember I had my buddy and I, when I lived in Lubbock, Texas, before I got married this summer, we played in a weekly golf tournament every Tuesday night. And we were playing with two other guys. They found out that we were both engaged. They found out that we both weren't having sex with our fiancés. You know what happened? He started laughing so hard, the other guy, 
that he fell on a tee box and just said more colorful language, but said basically what a fool you are for not trying it out before you commit to it. And that is what most of the world is going to say. Is they're going to say things like that. You know, is, hey, why are you not doing this? So there's ways in which it's going to cost us kind of more in a social stance in regards to that. But are there some other ways that it could cost us? Have any of y'all played sports? Do some of your sports ask you to practice or compete on a Sunday? It's one of the things that's crazy. It is amazing the level of which sports creeps in on the Sundays now. Love sports. I probably picked up on that. You know, competed in high school, competed in college. But there's no business for us to be missing a Sunday morning for a Little League baseball game. Because the thing is, when I was in Jackson, Mississippi, we had probably 500 guys play high school football. You know how many of them went on to play college football? One. And he didn't even make it to the end. He ended up quitting. Now, he's the only one that got a scholarship. Um, but you know what their coach did every summer? Their coach every summer said, hey, if you really want to get on the field and get playing time, then you need to be at all these off-season workouts. And then if you want the better gear, you know, like the better equipment, you know, better swag, then you're going to be at all of these things. And what did that mean? I mean, we had kids that didn't go on mission trips. We had kids that didn't come to RYM. And because of their coach. And at the end of the day, most coaches, if you put in the time outside of the workouts and you're in shape when the season starts and you're good enough, what are they going to do? They're going to play you because at the end of the day, what do those coaches want to do? Win. They want to win. So the thing is, is, is sometimes it's going to be, hey, I'm going to trust the Lord that even if I'm not there at every off-season practice because... I'm going to camp, I'm going on a mission trip, I'm going on a vacation with my family, that maybe it is going to cost me, but what I'm getting out of that is far better than anything like this. Because at the end of the day, if you're good enough, you're going to play. But too many coaches hold so many students hostage. And the thing is, like I said, sports are great. This is not a, hey, if you're home, and hey, I'd rather watch eight hours of Netflix than go to practice, that's a different, it's a different thing. But the thing is, is so often we have students that are prevented from doing things, and then so many families that it's, hey, I'm, we're going to compete. And I mean, and it's like seven and eight-year-old soccer games. I mean, so you're telling me the eternal significance of a seven and eight-year-old soccer game is more than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And none of them would say that. But that by their actions, that's what's happening. And so it's one of those things that as Christians, we, and the part of Birmingham I live in is heavily Jewish. And so like my kids go to public school, they actually sing dreidel, dreidel, for like the Christmas play. So there's Christmas Christian songs and Jewish songs. And the funny thing is, the Jews in the community take a stronger stance in regards to sports on Saturday than the Christians do in regards to sports on Sunday. And the community gives more respect to them and works around their schedule more than it will the Christians. Because the Christians are like, hey, we'll be there. It's okay. We'll miss church. And so for us, Christians, worship matters. Worship is important. Sports are great, but Jesus is eternal. And so that's one of the ways in which it might cost us is that we're going to be there on Sunday. And then one of the other things, Mississippi, I love living in Mississippi. Mississippi will be pushed to the bottom of the barrel in a lot of things. Um, But one of the things that is great about the state of Mississippi is there's this place called The Grove. And if you have not been to an Ole Miss football game and you get to go to The Grove, it is is the greatest experience. You will actually see tents where people are eating off of fine china with silver platters. That's not most of them. 
but that's some of them. It's just this, it's, it's a unique environment. But one of the things that would tend to happen in the fall in Jackson is Friday night after the high school football games, families would leave and wouldn't come back till Sunday evening. And because the social setting. And so even we have to think through, hey, you know, when I'm on vacation or I'm out of town, am I going to be at worship on Sunday where I am? Worship matters. Worship is important. And people are going to look at us like, what do you mean? Hey, you know, like there, hey, it's the Grove. This is an Ole Miss football game. And that only happens six or seven times a year. And so it's going to cost us in different ways than it did prior generations. Um, and it's not going to be typically for us death, imprisonment, sickness, but it's going to be far more on that social side. But when we say, hey, church matters more than this, it still leaves a resounding impact in the lives of those around us because they're like, they love that Jesus more than this sport, this activity, this event, the lake, the beach, fill in the blank. But a maturing Christian endures the cost because they know Jesus is worth it. And the third thing that we see is a maturing Christian has a genuine love for others. Going back to that repetition part, one of the things about a maturing faith, a contending faith, Scripture over and over. And if you read through the book of 1 John, it is like love one another, love one another, love one another. I mean, it's basically saying you can't be a Christian if you don't love other people. And so that is one of the biggest signs of a maturing faith. And it really shows what a unique community we could be when we truly love others more than ourselves. Um, Because it is. It is rare to find a Christian community where loving others comes natural. Because we said naturally we're going to love ourselves more than we love others. But as the Christ-centered Christian, as that maturing Christian understands that it's God who determines their steps and that they love Jesus more than their own life, it will lead to a group of believers who love others in a unique way. Um, And one of the things that it does is it actually causes us to cheer other people. Um, One of the things that can also be natural for us, competition is a good thing, uh, but it can also become a very bad thing. And even sometimes in the life of a church, you know, someone may give, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we have an incredibly talented musician. It can be very easy for me to say, man, I wish I could sing like that. I wish I could play the guitar like that. But what I need to be doing is rejoicing. Thank you, Lord, that you've given Adam that gift to be able to play like that and to lead us in that manner. Are we able to rejoice when God has given gifts to other people? And that's the thing is that is one of the signs of a Christian who's maturing is instead of tearing them down, is that we're lifting them up. And even kind of another example, when I was in Texas growing up, and I don't know if it's still that way for those that live in Texas, but the top 10% of every graduating class automatically got in to any public school. And so it became very competitive to get into the top 10%. So sometimes if people heard that someone didn't do too well that, you know, for me at that time, it was a six-week semester. If they heard they didn't do well, I was like, they weren't broken up about it because like, hey, that means I fault up and I may get that. I mean, my wife, for her essay to the University of Texas, she said, I'm top 10%, you have to accept me. That was the extent of her essay, because, I mean, that was the truth. That's all she had to do. She didn't have to write a long essay. And so, you know, that makes for a very competitive environment. So sometimes we can relish in someone else's shortcomings. But in the Christian life, we rejoice in the gifts that God has given other people, even if that means elevating them above us. And that is Paul here. He is excited that Timothy and Epaphroditus are able to be used in the church at Philippi. And he entrusted the work to other men because the thing that Paul could have been doing, Paul could have said, hey, I'm in prison because of y'all. 
Um, I'm going to send the B team. In fact, this may even be the C team. They're not as good as me, but I'm going to send them anyway. They'll do until I get back. No, no, no. Paul is building these brothers up. He is setting the table for them to be incredibly successful when they go to the church of Philippi. And Paul could have taken every opportunity to boast about himself, but instead he boasts about what God has done in these two individuals' lives. And one of the things I love, when I was in Jackson, my, towards the end of my time there, our senior minister, Ligon Duncan, had stepped down. He was taking a position with RTS, and another, another pastor came to take that position. And one of the things that I saw is I only saw him talk glowingly of this new senior minister. And what did that do? That is one of the greatest gifts that a senior minister can give to another senior minister, is to speak glowingly. Are they going to be different? Absolutely. But the thing is, are we speaking well of our fellow believers, and are we speaking well of others too? And then the other thing that we see with this cheering others, the importance of others, is presence. Um, presence is a big deal. Um, I think we've got a few. Are y'all, y'all from Ricky Jones Church, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one of these, my buddy in Mississippi was an RUF intern at Mississippi State under Ricky Jones, and Ricky Jones gave him this advice, crawl the weddings, run to funerals. Um, it is some of the best advice I have ever heard because the thing is my natural inclination is to run to a wedding because, hey, that's a party, that's fun, that's exciting. But one of the things that I've noticed in my own life when it's been a funeral and then when I've gone to others is they remember that you were there. They remember that you were that shoulder to cry on. And I can remember specifically, my sister was an RUF intern at Mississippi, or not Mississippi State, she was an RUF intern at New Mexico State and then her fiance was an RUF intern at Auburn and um, the night before his funeral, our senior minister, um, who at the time was not in Lubbock, but from Providence Christian Church, Rob Bailey, lived in Decatur, Alabama at the time, drove over, and I can still remember him coming through those doors of the Hilton Garden Inn and hugging us, crying, going down the street to Chili's, and then talking for three hours. I don't remember most of what we talked about, um, hardly any, but what, did, what do I remember? He was there. And then I can remember a few years after that when I was on staff at First President Jackson, we had a minister who had an affair with someone else on staff. And you can imagine just what that brings about in the life of a church. And we had one of our former pastors, Derek Thomas, had moved to South Carolina. And in the midst of his busy schedule, flies down Monday morning, and he's meeting with staff member after staff member, crying with us, praying with us, talking with us in Again, I remember a little bit more of what he said, but what do I remember the most? His presence. So don't underestimate our presence in the lives of others. And I'm not just saying just with funerals, but also when you have friends that are going through difficult things, maybe they have a family member who's in the hospital, maybe they're in the hospital. Sometimes those can be scary places to visit, but if you go there, it really breathes life into them. And then especially if it's someone that doesn't know the Lord, the fact that you're showing up there And the other thing, too, is a lot of times if you say, hey, may I pray with you? Most of the time, they're not going to push back against that. So step in, lean in to those opportunities. And then um, the last thing, um, we talked a little bit about it on um, Wednesday, is those seasons that God gives you, those brothers and sisters who just, they are so close and you're just lockstep. Um, enjoy those seasons. Um, for me, I've had a few of those relationships over the years where it's just, man, when we lived in the same town, the same setting, like I mentioned, my buddy who was RUF intern at Mississippi State and then another one 
He's here this week. He and I worked alongside each other in Jackson, Mississippi. He's in St. Louis now. We still talk once a month, which I love those times. Love that he and I got to catch up last night in person. But we don't get to do it as regular as we once did. Enjoy those times you have them. But then also know, is goodbye always a bad thing? No. Is that there are going to be seasons that God brings us together, and then there's going to be seasons that God sends us away from each other. Be grateful for those ties, but then also right here, I mean, we see it. We see that love that Paul has for these brothers, but what's he doing? He's sending them out. He's saying, hey, it's more important for y'all to be somewhere else. So goodbye is not always a bad thing. So the prayer as we go back to the different churches that we're a part of is that we would become these unique, radical communities that actually love others more than we love ourselves. Because the thing is, is you know, you know what a refreshing place that would be, whether you were a junior high student, especially as a high school student, where it's like, man, people actually love me and they care for me more than they care for themselves. And the reason that we do it is because we know how much God has loved us. That's why it's so important. Remember the call, remember the call, remember the call. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this week. We thank you for this time. We thank you for the time that we've been able to be in your word individually, the times that we've heard it taught, the times that we have sung it. And Lord, we thank you for your glory and majesty that surrounds us constantly out here. And Lord God, I pray that it would remind us of how much we are loved in you. And Lord, that as we go forth from this place, that our faith would continue to mature. And Lord God, that we would be unique communities in the different parts of this country that we are. And Lord, that we would begin to love you more so that we can love others more. Lord God, get all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.